And we're back. Welcome back to Drink It In Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to bring you an extraordinary lineup of interviews where I sit down with some of the most influential rabbis of our time. Together, we will get a peek into the world of a rabbi, their triumphs, their trials, and everything in between. We'll uncover what it truly means to be a rabbi. This is Drink It In, the podcast, and I'm your host, Jordana. Let's jump into the Rabbi Roundup. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season 11 of my podcast. This is unbelievable. This is the rabbi season where I reached out to different rabbis that I very much wanted to get a little bit more info on them. And I find them to be very intriguing and they have a lot to offer. And one of them that was at the top of my list was Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz. I've done numerous lives with him and I very much enjoy um, his work our interaction together. And I said, that's it. He's definitely coming on season 11, hook by crook. And I want to get to the heart as much as I possibly can. I only know a little bit of Rabbi Horowitz, but together you and I are going to, my audience is going to get to know Rabbi Horowitz, hopefully a little bit better. So Rabbi Horowitz, could you tell us, uh, you'll introduce yourself, but like start off with perhaps where you grew up, and then um, if this was your dream job or if there was some other job you wanted to do, okay? Yeah, so that, that, the first question might be a little boring, but the second one certainly isn't. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Bell Harbor, Queens. I, okay. I actually was born in Crown Heights. Um, that Before it became just a Chabad enclave, you know, it was uh, <laughs> a, a lot of um, Holocaust survivors and, and that gen- my parents, gen- I'm... I'm turning 64 next month. I get a Medicare card in uh, in, in 13 months. So, um, yeah. So, um, the, I grew up in Crown Heights. My my father died when I was three. My mother remarried two and a half years later. Um, they moved to Bell Harbor uh, about two years after their marriage. They had 46 beautiful years together, and they did an, a phenomenal job blending their families. So. Um, there's three of us. Um, we have a half sister who's a few years younger than I am, and um, a stepbrother. A few years that my Abba brought. We didn't use we didn't use the step the word step. Right. You know, he's my brother. I'm just identifying him as such. But but you really anybody looking at our family never would have been able to tell who's who. My parents treated us equally. Um, I like three outside candles every every um, you know every. Now, Shavuos, I, I, I say Kaddish from, for Abba. Somebody asked me uh, when he passed away, like, he was just curious, like, so why are you saying Kaddish? I said, whoever paid for my braces, I'll say Kaddish for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, God. I, you know, he raised us like his own, like his own children. He deserved right. the respect, and, and, and I have nothing but gratitude to him. So I was just a regular, rowdy, uh, rambunctious student. Uh, the energy that I have, thank God, at 63, that lets me do a lot of these projects that doesn't necessarily translate to, um, you know, being a good student in school, especially back in the day when things were more authoritarian in nature. Um, the school was really extraordinarily difficult for me, which is why I developed the passions to help kids who weren't making it in school. Um, so I... I 
went off to Eretz Yisrael at, at age 19. Parenthetically, here's an interesting one for your, for your yeah. listeners. Um, Abba uh, insisted that before I go to Israel, I have to have parnasa. I have to have a, a livelihood, a way to make a living. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I said I want to go into kolel, meaning to study Torah after learning, after uh, you know, after school, after marriage, or go into chinuch and Jewish education, which wasn't even on my mind at the time. Um, I originally I wanted to be an oral surgeon. I took I went to college pre med. Oh wow! The, for about two years, yeah. And uh, but he he insisted. He said, "Well, what happens if those things don't work out? How are you making a living?" He said. And the Talmud says one of the parents' father's obligation is to teach, teach the children how to swim and teach them how to how to make a living. Mm-hmm. He said the Torah didn't give me many responsibilities. This is one of them, and I absolutely insist. And he he was a very easygoing fellow, you know. It wasn't like him to insist. He said, "I insist that you have to tell, be able to tell me what you're doing for a living before you leave at home to go to Israel." Mm-hmm. And I went to my Rebbe Rav Pam to talk it over, and he said, "Your father's right." Mm-hmm. So I actually went to a six-month, my father was in the jewelry business. I went to a six-month class on, on jewelry. On, I'm sorry? Gemology, like a gemology course? Uh, yeah, no, ju- no, not diamonds, jewelry making, okay. uh, how to make nameplates. How to, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I haven't done it in a little while. It must be rusty. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, the truth is it came from a place I, I didn't like it. I, I was so not what I wanted to do, and I didn't do it all day. It was like a two-hour course in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did that out of respect, and I went off to Israel. Um, and there, there was no time, you know, I had no I, no concept even of, of going into Jewish education. It was the furthest thing for me. <laughs> if you would have asked anyone who went to school with me, they would have burst out laughing if you told them that I'd be going to Jewish education one day. Um I actually was, I got, the first year I started teaching was at the age of 17. I went to a, um, a summer camp mm-hmm. and I specifically, I wanted to concentrate on playing basketball all summer. So I was a pretty good athlete. I was on the, the, the varsity team in the summer camps and, you know, I played in the league till I was 48 and my wow. knees started to go. So I, I told all my friends, I'm going to camp and I'm, I, I give me the job that has the least amount of time of working so I could play ball the rest of the day. <laughs> and they said, learning Rebbe. And my friends, <laughs> like I said, I wasn't much of a student. They really didn't start learning until I was 16. So they all started howling when they thought that, that I was going to be a learning Rebbe. And I went to the learning director and I said, listen, um, give me the five students that gave you nightmares last year. I didn't want to prepare. Right. <laughs> so I said, give me five students that the roughest kids that gave you nightmares. I will take them. You will not see them all summer. I'm never going to send a kid to you. And I guarantee you they'll learn more than last year, which was zero. Right. So and I said, but you cannot ask me what I'm learning. Don't test my kids. It just leave. And most of the time we went on hikes and I, I learned for them about 10, 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes. And I just fell in love with it. It, it took me a few mm-hmm. years to realize that that was my calling. Calling. So, uh, so that's the long story. So after we got married, my lovely wife, Uri, um, she, she, um, she, I was, a real, I told her that I planned on finishing college and going, you know, becoming an oral surgeon. And then 
we talked and she saw that that's where my heart was and she's an incredible woman. She just said, go for it. If that's what you want to do and makes you happy, go. Wow. So that's mm-hmm. how it started. That's how it started. So first I want to go back to a few things. First of all, my parents also are from Crown Heights, you know, the pre, um, right. Chabad. Pre Chabad. Right. My mom grew up on Montgomery street. There you go. I grew up. That's where I live. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn between Montgomery and Empire Boulevard. Yeah. I think, I don't, I don't have, I would have to ask my parents, but, but I'm that sure was that area, was yeah, that that area. Was and my father also, and they met when they were 14 and they were dating since they were 14 and 15 and then became high school sweethearts. My father even went to Crown Heights Yeshiva mm-hmm. and, but my mom had gone to public school her whole life, but, but they were also from that Crown Heights pre yep. Chabad, exactly. you know, but I want to ask you when you get your Medicaid card. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, was Horowitz your father's name or your... My father's name. My father's, father's name. name. So what was you your stepfather's last name? Nutovic. Nutovic. Say it one more time. Nutovic, N-U-T-O-V-I-C. Okay, very nice. Nutovic. In fact, you want another great story? Yeah. My, when they were dating, second marriages were so uncommon. Right. Um, I was one of 88 students in, in Tervedas High School, for example, there was one other kid that was a, a second, a blended family kid. Mm-hmm. You know, people hardly divorced. Then there were divorces, but certainly not as much. Right. The community was smaller. It just, you know, there weren't many, many. Anyway, at the time, it was common for the step the stepchildren to take the name of the stepfather. Mm-hmm. It was very, that was more common than not. Okay. And um, Abba said that he wanted, Mr. Nurevich Shlomo, his name was, um, he said that he, we went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, actually. He wasn't a Lubavitcher Chassid. He, the Rebbe, Rebbe lived in Crown Heights at the time. And he was like, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of Chassidim at the time, okay. you know. And my, my mother was very, very spunky. So he wanted to go talk a few things over. And my father said, my mother said, my mother, they're both in Gan Eden. They, my mother said, that I'll go to him, but I don't have to listen. <laughs> Can you see me saying something like that? She said, right. I'll go, I'll listen, but I, I have veto power. Right. So I've agreed to that. And he suggested that one of the things that he suggested was that they that we take his name. Why? Because he didn't want us. He said they're orphans. All right. Well, there wasn't, it wasn't, a, um, it wasn't, there was a lot of logical reasoning there. Mm-hmm. He said, look, the kids are orphans as it is. Um, why should they go to school and hang up a sign on their forehead that, I, you know, that I'm, I'm going to blend it. Again, there were no blended families then. Mm-hmm. So it was, he felt that it would be easier for us to transition that way. Mm. Because specifically because we were such young kids, I was six when they remarried. My brother was four. My sister was seven. Mm. So he, that, you know, I'm, and my mother walked on the steps on the way out. He, he told him a lot of different things. Right. Um, on the steps on the way, he, she said, that's not negotiable. Right. So she, she said, my shviger, my mother-in-law, my maternal uh, grandmother, my father's mother, mm-hmm. she lost her son, and I'm not taking away her grandchildren. Mm. That's what she said. I hear. That, I hear that. that. that it's memory. Said, what? Yeah. It's his she memory. Said, it's your father's memory. It's his name. Right. What, and, right? what do you have left in this world but your name? Right, right. 
I'm saying, but it was a very progressive thing at the time. Most right. people really did we're doing that, take the names, right. and that's what they were encouraged to do. They, yeah. were, they were really ahead of their time. Wow, wow, beautiful, beautiful. And it's so funny that you want to be an oral surgeon. You know, everyone in my family is a dentist. I didn't know that. My okay. sister, my two brothers, and my father. My father's a retired dentist. I, very funny story in our family. One of my brothers, he was majoring in Jewish philosophy in college, and my mother was getting a little nervous. She says, I don't understand. Won't be a dentist. I said, what are you going to do? Are you going to philosophize money? And that was like the joke. <laughs> she said, but that was the same thing as saying in Kolo. It was the right? same idea as, as studying Torah post-marriage, right? You know, right. you, you so, want to be a writer, right? You want right? to be a writer. He said, don't worry, I'm minoring in the sciences. Lo and behold, he went to dental school, had full scholarship. What are, what, are you gonna, what are you saying? You're going to philosophize money? Philosophize money. money. <laughs> I, I, I you got to meet it. my parents, Trevor Horowitz. You, you oh. love my dad already. You got to meet them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I love what he told you. Right. For those who don't know, Jordana, we were talking about Yom Kippur. Right. We did a live right. together on Yom Kippur, and Jordana said that her correct me if I'm wrong, that when she thinks of, of Teshuva, you remember your dad telling you when you were a teenager and going through a tough time, like every old teenagers do. Mm-hmm. He said, I love you. I always love you. We'll figure it out. Talk to me. Right? Is that right. basically it? And also he said, I'll always forgive you for whatever I'll it always is. forgive you. Right. Thank that's you. it. I'll and always that's, forgive that's you. That's your vision of God. Right. 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 Isn't that beautiful? Right. You want your kids. Yeah. I, I always tell parents, you're the closest thing the kids have to God, whether you like it or not. Right. That's the way it is. Yeah. You know, that, that's the way it is. And you had such a positive image Thank of God because your father said, I'll forgive right. you for anything. Yeah. I want to tell you just another nice story about my dad. I remember um, I, I I got a one of the books. It might have been like a Pesach Chromebook, uh, one of the later ones that he had written about uh, an inspiration, something about I remember I had the word inspiration. I remember I knew my father would have liked it, had all these different stories. And I wrote him a little message in in the book. And I said um, something to the fact that all these all these stories are so inspirational, but they never come, they don't come close to how you inspire me. Wow. That's, that's what beautiful. I, that's what that's I wrote beautiful. to him. Yeah, yeah. He's very, very he's beautiful. Still, he's still alive, your father? Yes, both my parents are still alive, that's thank beautiful. God. Yeah, That's yeah, beautiful. thank God. Please yeah, convey but... my compliments to him. I, well, he'll listen. He'll, my mom listens to my mom is listening to this right now. She always says, it's "Do you have to talk about you me?" Said, but to like the compliment. <laughs> She's like, "You always have yep. to talk about me." I'm like, "It's okay, oh, ma." My mother, my mother, Allah Shalom, of blessed memory. She was the spunkiest woman. I, I um, I'm doing a talk this week on my parenting clips. Um, the title is. Um, how would how will you want your children to remember you? Mm. That, that's the title. So I said that every that historians uh, I forgot who, but it, uh, I, I love the line. He said that during, uh, you know, elected officials, people who are very who are very uh, minute, prime ministers, presidents, they have billions of words written about them. Thirty years later, they just get a sentence. Right. You know, the Truman dropped the bomb. You know, Roosevelt right. or whatever depression, World War Two. So. I say, what would you want your sentence to be? You know, right, hundred percent. So, so my, mom's, my mom's, she was. So I, so I, I mentioned the last club. I think it's Friday's club. I said that before my mother's funeral, I called up all of our children, and and I asked them to give me one word descriptions of of their grandmother, mm-hmm. and it was just so. I, I read it. Right. It was 
I would hope they would say stuff like that. <laughs> but, I mean, spunky, funny, hysterical, resilient, right. you know. So so she was just a riot. I really, really was a, a very challenging child. So the last year of her life, I was at a, um, I, I was at a, a holiday, pro- a Shavuos program, a holiday pro- a hotel program. And the last day I was lecturing on teenagers. So my mother was a little hard of hearing at the end. So she was sitting next to my wife, Udi. And she says, during Q&A, she tells my wife, she says, Udi, what, what was the woman saying? So she says, the woman said that, uh, that her teenager is giving, giving him a very difficult time. She's giving her very different. So my mother says, ah, she turns around. She asked my wife to help her turn around. She says, you think your kid's difficult? You should have seen him. <laughs> the place went nuts. And the whole, the whole meal afterwards, right. I, I, she was, everybody was pulling up chairs and she was telling her Right, she had a whole line. Oh my God. <laughs> you, you weren't the expert anymore. She became the expert because she produced you. <laughs> she, she used to call my sisters, I swear, I promise you. She used to call my sisters and say, like, I was at a talk. I mean, they listened to him. <laughs> it was just hysterical. Yeah, it's, it's good that you gave her such an achas. It's really very yeah, beautiful. It's very nice. So now, what was your first, like, teaching position or rabbi position? What was that? So I went to, um, I started, We I actually... My wife already took a job after we got married. I, I was, we intended that I would study two, three years full time in Kolo po, uh, to learn Talmud uh, post learning. I really got into learning Judaic studies a, a lot, and I enjoyed it very much. And then when she was pregnant with our oldest son, who's forty two now, um, she she just said she, you know, we had spoken about this a long time, and she just came. She just said, Yankee. I, I, I'm not turning over the baby to a babysitter. I'm, I just mm. can't see myself doing this. So I respected it very much. You know, I, I we talked about it a couple of times, but I said, okay, then, then I'll go get a job. So I, so I started to look for a job in, in Jewish education, and I just, um, I taught a remedial class for two years of just three children. It was so, bef- there was no such, they didn't even have a term for it. At the time, I did that like right after our wedding, and then two years later, in 1982, I I took an eighth grade position in Yeshiva Tarasemis, which was a very established school. In oh, Bar- my Bar- brother Bar- in in Bar Park. Yeah, Rabbi Eli Schwartz was my principal. My brothers went to Tarasemis. There you go. Ah, so cute. I taught there from eighty, from 1982 to 1989. I taught eighth grade. Eighty to eighty nine. And th- what they did is they had a rotation system there that. The, the, the classes were tracked. That if you got a weaker track for Gemara, for Talmud, then you got a stronger class for 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 Chumash, for Bible studies, and then you went so you, like you wouldn't get burnt out during the day from teaching <laughs> the, the rougher students. And I went to Rabbi Schwartz after two weeks, and I said, "I, I can't do this. I, I'm bouncing around too much. I need to get to know my students." So he says, "You mean you want?" The remedial like I was nuts. You mean you want the remedial class? I said, yeah, they're great kids. I just, I have to bond with them. And I can't do it. And I just, I just did that for 15 years. I loved every minute of it. Wow. Such beautiful, great memories. Oh. I mean, my oldest students are 53 now. Okay. Your oldest students are 53. Can you imagine? Okay. We a wedding this week. Yeah. So and my, so my, my brothers are older than that. 
but they wouldn't yeah. have been in the remedial class anyway. You know? Okay. Oh, of course not. Of course not. Yeah, but, but uh, I, I, just, I loved, I just loved every minute of it. That's so nice. That's so, so nice. Beautiful, beautiful. So you were living in Borough Park or in Brooklyn? Where were you? We were in Borough Park. Then we moved to Muncie in 1988. When it was still farmland. Not exactly farmland, but it wasn't as developed (laughs) as it is now. I wanted the kids to have a backyard and they'd be able to run around. And the house pricing at the time was much, much cheaper. And um, we just decided to do that. Thankfully, I was able to find the job teaching there. I taught there for a number of years. And then we had a, a, the most beautiful, quiet life. You know, nobody minded my own business. Uh, you know, I'd like to think I was doing a good job as t- at teaching, but that was beyond my class. Nobody knew right. who I was. I just did my own thing. And then I wrote an article in the Jewish Observer, which was the Agudas uh, monthly newspaper. It was a serious paper. Most people saved them. First of all, Mishpacha, Ami, Yated, none of them existed. Right. So, and it was a serious, it was a thin, you know, glossy paper. Rabbi Shera started it. it. It folded about 15 years ago. But that was a place where you wrote a serious article on Jewish education or on Jewish life. So certainly in the black hat yeshiva world. So I was just very frustrated that a lot of the students that were going through my classes, um, I felt that they weren't taught basics of how to mm. learn Gemara and how to learn Chumash. Um, they weren't given the building blocks of Hebrew language or Aramaic or who these people were. They're, you know, I said at the time, I say now that like Gemara, learning Talmud is a taught law class in a foreign language with no punctuation. I mean, that's, that's literally what it is. And some of the pages out of order, you know. So, and and the children weren't, given an introduction to it they were just dropped in and said dropped into class and said okay open your gemaras i mean at the most a progressive review at the time would tell the kids a little bit about mishnah and you know uh, Mm -hmm. not not nearly what they needed so i i wrote an article about kids abandoning religion which no one talked about it was like Remember child sexual abuse uh, 15 years, 20 years ago? Nobody talked about it. And whoever talked about it was disgracing the community, you know. like mm-hmm. So that's what it was with Teens at Risk when I started. It was 19, um, in 1996. Wow. I wrote this 4,500-word essay. You know, a New York Times editorial is eight, 800, 1,000 words. Like, it was a, a long piece. And I basically wrote, we're losing a percentage of our children through religion. It doesn't have to be this way. Here are some ideas. And it was pretty innocuous, I thought, but it exploded. I mean, I I had such a quiet life until then. We were getting hundreds and hundreds of phone calls every month. We got a hundred letters to to our home address. Wow. Written letters. And, you know, five, 10% wrote that I'm the Messiah because I'm saying whatever they were thinking about all their lives and five ten percent wrote that um you know i'm an enemy of the jewish people for talking so for, for talking trash to the, about the schools about the yeshivas in a public forum but the vast overwhelming majority of people just wrote begging for help right. there was no amudim there was no uh, there were no schools there was right. there was nothing there was adelphi yeshiva was rabbi trink uh, rabbi trink had a, a, an alternative high school one and there was Ohel Children's Home. That's it. 
Right. There was, wow. no, was not there was nothing available for for parents, and this was like a, a novel idea to talk about this stuff. Wow. wow. So I went to Rabbi Shera Zatzal, who was the head of the Agoda, and he the last thing he did before he died, the last project he worked on was called Project S at the time. We I started a program for kids who weren't making it in school. Wow. Wow. So this article, if we would use a modern day terms, went viral. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It did. Yeah. We, 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 I got more comparisons for you and my Horowitz. Yes. It and did just as much as probably today, you get your hate comments and your hate. <laughs> yeah. And you just get your love that. comments and then right. you get your comments where people just need your assistance. Help me. Right. Help right. me. I'm sure it's the same. Same thing. Nothing changes. Hasn't changed. Just the details changed. Right. Right. Exactly. The platform, really, the platform that's, changed. That's, that was it. That's, that's exactly the way it was. Exactly. And and imagine, I, I mean, people would really be shocked. A lot of people listening to this would really be shocked. I mean, you know, I'm a straight shooter. Right. Um, the Aguda is was run by is run by the Rashi Yeshiva by the senior, for lack of a better term, heads of the black hat yeshivas. You know mm-hmm. of the of the rabbinic seminaries and the like. And um, Rabbi Shara brought me to quite a few meetings uh, of these elderly giants, you know, the leaders, of the, they were now, I think of Shmuel Kamenetsky, he should, he's, he should live and be well and have a for Shalema. I think he's the only one that's still alive from that group. Wow. So they're all in Ganeda now, Rabbi Novomitsky Rebbe, my Rebbe Raf Pam, uh, you know, Rabbi Levina. And he brought me to the meetings to report on what I was seeing in the street. And it was fast. I was terrified, first of all. You know, I was holding on to the, I, I asked for a lectern, you know, to hold on to while I was talking. My hands were shaking. I was 37 years old. Right. And these elderly rabbis that I revered and adored were asking me kinds of questions and what I thought about right. this. <laughs> like, what and, and it was really incredible. They were, they were open, like, I, I walked in the first meeting. I had a list of 130 boys who were in no school setting at all. Wow. In, in, within a two-hour drive of, of Metro New York, I had a list of 130 boys. They were in, in no schools. And, you know, in the conversations, the rabbis asked me, what do you, any, what do you recommend, Rabbi Horowitz? So I said I had, I had to set my secretary checked. We looked into the information of all of these kids the average kid was had already attended four to eight schools. Again, there were no remedial programs, so none of those schools were equipped for a kid with ADHD and which what we know today is mm-hmm. ADHD or a kid with a processing difficulty or, or difficult home environment that wasn't getting counseling. So I told the Rashi Yeshiva, I said that I don't see the ninth school being different than these. I think we should get them jobs and have a voluntary one-hour class at night, which they all will attend, um, and let's get them off the streets. The kids right. were boosting cars. They were getting into trouble. And they unanimously gave me the green light. Uh, and the yeah. public at large, would find, might some might find this difficult, you know, that they were so responsive. And so it, it, was, it was remarkable. It was really remarkable. You know, as you're talking, I'm just going to sidetrack for a second, just out of curiosity. Have you ever sat down with uh, Rabbi Kalish? 
and had conversations with him. Yeah, yeah, yes. She was pre-Waterbury. Waterbury, right. Yes. I know this is pre-Waterbury. I'm saying now that we, you see, because I had a son that went to Waterbury. So, yeah. you know, it's so. Fantastic. I, 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 yeah, we spoke a few times. I mean, I didn't, you know, like I'm from the older generation. Right. You know, like, right. like um, I'm delighted. I, I have nachas, you know, I have joy seeing what he's doing and many others like him that, right. are, that are doing great work with the kids. So now when um, did the shift happen for you? Because I know you went for a little, you know, the at risk, but then you also became very much the advocate of abuse yeah. and the sexual abuse, so on and so forth. So when did, was there like a shift? Did you write another article that like? <laughs> that's a good question. I'd been writing articles all along. I actually wrote a Mishpacha magazine in 2007. I wrote about 50 columns for them over a period of two years. But I started writing because I wanted to write about child sexual abuse. And I wrote three columns. They were very brave, 2007. Um, if you send me an email, I'll, I'll send you the pieces. At the time, it was revolutionary. I right. Mean, I wrote openly. The first of the three columns were called, was called The Monster Inside. Mm. That was the title. And I wrote about, I started the column by writing about that um, cartoon character, the Roadrunner. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Did I just- did I just date myself? Was it still uh, around? I'm a roadrunner. Beep, 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 beep. You know, right? Yeah. So, so I wrote that that I was trying to convey the time. Nobody was ready for this. So um, I wrote that this about this roadrunner. I didn't, I don't think I wrote, I wrote a cartoon character. And the good guy's chasing the bad guy. A uh, bad guy's chasing the good guy. And the good guy gets into a room, locks the door, and goes, whew. And then a second later, you see the bad guy next to him. Mm. So I wrote in the piece that we're building these walls around our communities. The monster's inside. inside. I wrote that, and they published it to their great credit, to Mishbacha's great credit. Some people, a lot of people bust the chops about the not having women's pictures. I've written about that also. You know, I think I, right. I think I wish they changed their policy, but they were extraordinarily brave that they they posted the columns. Wow. One of the editors told me that she said, "Over her, I, I I believe you. I trust you, but this sounds this sounds insane. Like it just like nobody talked about it because right. it sounded like." It didn't exist. I mean, I started I started getting involved in this, Jordana, because I realized after dealing with this population from 1996 till 2001, let's say, to for those few years, that a very high percentage of them had been abused. Mm-hmm. That's how there's a, there's a logical bounce to I my got, career. Yeah. I hear. That's the logical flow after dealing. I spent a great deal of time dealing with this population. I started to notice that many of them had been abused. Mm. So I started to write up, talk about it and write about it. And, and I look back to those old articles and it's, it's a little frightening. You see, I show you some of the pieces. I'll send you some of the pieces. You, you, you see, you could hear the panic in my writing. Mm-hmm. You see like the panic like I would talk about guys don't you see but you know screaming begging people to listen nobody you know nobody saw it because the victims weren't coming forward right and and they were you know they were shamed into submission and and therefore nothing came public so it was a vicious cycle so that you know but 
those of us who were in the street dealing with the kids saw it right openly. So we started writing about it and writing about it and writing about it. And eventually, you know, little by little, it started to, things started to turn. But those mm. first few years were extraordinarily lonely, really mm. Wow. I mean, not for me, God forbid. I mean, I'm just saying it was lonely writing about it. That I'm not comparing my trauma to the, I was, right. never, abused, I was never abused as a child. I mean, a lot of, some people, everybody thinks it, question though, but not, not everybody asks, but um, I, I wasn't abused myself, but, you know, I certainly, I just saw what I saw and I said, I cannot be silent. I have to speak right. up. Wow. Wow. So, Going back on, on your career a little bit and your interactions um, with the students and the boys and people, what would you say was probably, you must have had a lot of rewarding moments. Is there one that, that sticks out in your mind above and beyond the rest of them or one that you want to share with us that maybe doesn't stick out, but it's just rewarding it anyway? It wasn't, it wasn't one. It was, it was really, it was all of them finding a safe space to learn. It was that feeling that the kids had of just being being able to speak and, and ask questions and challenge what I was saying and, and saying, I don't know. I started every class the same every year. I never made these speeches, you know, these day one speeches. I don't do I them would, either. Oh God, it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. I have, kids come from the first day from school. What do you learn? A lot of rules. <laughs> you know, what a lot of things. I used to get to say, guys, I know nothing about you. I said, some of you I've seen roaming the halls. I never did a scouting report. Never. I never did a scouting report on any students. I said, you have absolutely a fresh start with me. And and the second thing is you can ask any question you want about anything. And I said, try me out because sometimes I'll be tired and I might not be concentrating and it'll be in your benefit. I said, if you ask me a question and you're my response, like what a silly question, like if I may, I roll my eyes or I convey body language in some way that embarrasses you, I will give the entire class off 24 hours from learning. Meaning if it happens 9.30 in the morning, we have the rest of the day off, no <laughs> homework, and we reconvene at 9.30. So test me, ask me anything you want, and worst comes to worst, I'll give you a look, and then you're off for a day. <laughs> So I tried to create the culture that they could ask me whatever then. And, and I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but the, the kids were missing real basic information as if they hadn't even, some of them, as if they right. hadn't gone to school at all. Right. You know, because they missed the train, especially Gemara. Once they saw Talmud, you know, Chumash are little pieces, segments, but Talmud is, the, you got to follow it. And so, I mean, it was really rewarding watching the kids grow and learn. And, you know, some succeeded more than others, but they all, I think, they all felt comfortable. I never raised my voice, ever, ever, mm -hmm. ever. Uh, and again, that was, corporal punishment was the norm mm -hmm. then, you know. Right. So, um, and that, how'd, your that, kids, that was... how'd your kids take to all of this? Your own children? My children? Yeah. I actually... Before I wrote the article, I actually asked each of them permission. Mm. And I, because I told them that I never want you to, um, you tell me if anybody ever tells you 
Rabbi Horowitz's son shouldn't do this, and Rabbi Horowitz's daughter shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell all the teachers, they are to be treated like every other child. Don't don't you ever mention to them that Rabbi Horowitz is da 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 da. Mm-hmm. But you know the truth of the matter is, how do they treat it? I I think that I I know they're proud of what I they were proud of what I was doing. Um, I really shut the house down once I started these projects. Um, we never had a guest after that. Mm. I went to my Rebbe Rav Palm. I used to have students over. I mean, today you wouldn't do it because of, right. you know, because of abuse boundaries, you know. Right. But but then, like, the best Rebbeim invited kids to their home for, for lunch, from Shabbos meal. And I went to my Rebbe Rav Palm and I said, you know, Rebbe, I don't want, I said, I really want to, I'm, I'm, I think I'm locking my house down to guests. And he said, just, I'm just, I said, I want to discuss it with Rebbe. So he said, uh, why are you doing this? I said, I don't want my kids to feel that they had to wait online to talk to me. So he said, that's the way you feel. So the kids had friends of theirs. That was not, I, We never had a guest. What's it? Almost 30 years. Wow. Till the kids were out of the house. My wife and I never had guests over. Wow. Wow. And we didn't have students over. The door was closed. I was just Yankee Horowitz in sweats. You know, I never made a fuss. I never made a, I never, in my clothing, I never, I dressed. I became a school principal, you know, for 22 years. Obviously, I would dress for the role and, 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 but I never took myself seriously that I I would walk in the street if I was gone golfing, you know, I would go in shorts and and golf clothing. I, 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 I wanted the children to be raised in a regular home without, any pressure that comes along with uh, being a rabbi's kid. I I remember some time ago, you could give me more details if I'm I'm remembering it correctly. You used to do, and maybe you still do it, and I don't even know. You used to do a program. Was it like Rosh Hashanah time? You used to- I would volunteer. I I would volunteer for a program. I volunteered. Okay, you were volunteering um, on a program, right? Kids and Substance Abuse. Yeah, with Kids in Recovery. Yes, it was a wonderful program called Madregos. Right, that's what it was, yes. And we volunteered, my wife, Odie, and I, my lovely wife, Odie, she's amazing. She, she's really been a full, full partner in everything. Um, I, I, did, did, you see, did you ever see the picture from our dinner when we were honored? Yes, yes, and I know um, that's your profile pic. That's Yaakov and Odie. It's the Rabbi Yaakov and Odie. Right. And the, the, my rule was that she had to be, her picture had to be on every invitation and every ad and some of the papers wouldn't run the ads. And my, my board asked if they could do a, a different, uh, and I said, no, no, they don't like it. They're not running it. Mm. But, but she was really incredible. Uh, well, she's an artist. She's talented. She was, you know, she was designing office buildings and stuff. She, she, she's an incredibly talented person, but she just dropped everything with, for the children and, 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 you know, to do whatever we decided we, we wanted to do to help kids. So we we volunteered for eight years to spend Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur with recovering addicts, with kids right. in recovery. It was a, a life-changing experience. Wow. I was davening for the Ahmed and the shul, and I, I, I was leading the congregation. I really liked it. I enjoyed it very much. And I thought about it a lot. And I said, you know, I said, Jeremiah would say, Yirmiyo, the prophet, would say that I should leave the... I should leave this nice crowd that I was praying with and go stay with the kids who, who are experiencing different. That's what I say. What would Jeremiah say? Right. He, 
he would tell me to, you know, what would, you know, right. so I, I, we did that for eight years and, wow. and, you know, they, they, whenever they structured the program differently, they don't have as many volunteers. So I was glad to go back to my life, but right. it, it really was, it was very meaningful and, and, a, and a great eye opener to me. Now, well, now you're not in the classroom anymore. No, you're, no, no. you're not a principal anymore. Nope. You know, <laughs> so I know you're doing your own, uh, I know what I see on social media. Um, mm-hmm. and I know you're an advocate for a lot. So you, why don't you tell us like the different programs and the different, uh, cause I know you have the bright, is it, I don't remember right you say, you right, say what yeah. it is. Go so, ahead. so basically what, what I decided, um, one of the primary reasons that I stepped down from Nishiva and, and, I really wanted to be able to spend more time with my grandchildren. Right. Um, I get we that. Have, I'm sorry? You get I get that. that. Right? <laughs> yeah, we, have, we have five children in five states. Wow. You know, that's, uh, you know, I had this dream. They're all going to be in the cul-de-sac around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> God has a sense of humor. So I, I, I didn't want to be tied down. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to have the freedom to be able to hang out with the grandkids and, and, and you know, and be able to really spend time with them. They're going to be grown up soon, and you know that 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 chance you don't get again. So Odie and I talked about it a lot, and involved a lot of change. Um, but I have we have a child abuse prevention. You know, we have a child abuse book that I'm, I'm doing a big program the next couple of weeks to to get parents to. We're offering it for five dollars a book, free shipping for sales of twenty books or more. And wow. it's also on Amazon page for like eight bucks. I'm really encouraging parents to, to buy it. I'm, you know, I, I thought of a new way to package it, to explain it. And uh, I'm telling parents that it's not, it's not about having the conversation. You know, remember when we were younger, parents would have the talk before the kids <laughs> went to summer camp. It's about having the right conversation. Mm. And, and that the, what I really am trying to explain to parents is that, the conversation itself, if you just scare the kids, you know, you frighten them, the research shows they don't remember anything. Mm-hmm. They don't remember what you're telling them. And you really have to give them very complicated messages that people who look who look like us could be abusers. And right. people in the family and people there. So and you wanted you're supposed to do it in a rela- in a way that has just a a, a little bit of um, seriousness, but not fright. So I don't think the average parent has the tools to have this conversation. Mm. So we made a tool, we made the safety book so that parents can do this. In other words, if a parent sat down with a child of theirs and says, you know, people, your uncle could be abusing you, or, you know, people who look like us or people in the family, the kids would would go bugged Mm. out of their brain. I mean, they would go nuts. So we made a book that you just show them a picture and that picture says, shows that. And, does it you know so i'm really encouraging parents to 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 get the book and i really chose a couple of years ago to jump into this instagram instagram space that was so foreign to me (laughs) i i i I cannot begin to tell you it it was like a headache i would go on instagram see everybody jumping around like i'm 63 years old like it was so not from but you know i I, I, I was feeling very out of touch with the Gen Z parents. Right. I'm, I'm very self-aware, Baruch Hashem. I have a lot of faults, but I'm very self-aware. 
And I just felt I don't understand their lives. And I said to myself, I'm going to stop giving parenting classes if I, if I don't feel that I'm engaged with them and if I don't understand their lives. So I made this very gutsy move to just go all in and um, I'm, I'm delighted with the way things are turning out, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, uh, I remember in the very beginning. Remember, I think, I think one time you messaged me. You're like, Jordana, you're going to be my my social media Rebbe. That's <laughs> <laughs> something I would have said. That's something I would have said. <laughs> that was very cute. I'm not no whiz either, but it was just funny. It was just very cute. Well, I, was I very needed, cute. You know, I needed. Well, by the way, that 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 line comes from something I told a an officer in the 70th precinct in Brooklyn. I found out in 1998 that Orthodox kids were dealing drugs mm. in Brooklyn. And there was a whole system with the payphones. I mean, I don't believe it. The kids told me, the kids I was working to, hey, Rebbe, there were kids dealing drugs from kids. I said, what? So, so they, took me, I, they told me where to stand. There were certain payphones mm. that you'd walk up to, you know, on Avenue J and Avenue M and 13th Avenue and 16th Avenue. And the kids would go over and there was a system like you put out fingers for... Uh, a right pocket meant marijuana, left pocket was ecstasy at the time of the thing. And they would flash numbers of what they wanted. Then they would go around the corner and someone would do a deal with them. Mm. So I, when I found out, my first reaction was, I got to learn about this. So I went into the precinct and I told the sergeant, I told the sergeant behind the desk, I said, I need a drug rebbe. <laughs> Honest to goodness. I said, I said, I need, I need a drug, Rebbe. He said, what? I said, Rebbe needs a teacher. I said, I'm a yeshiva guy. I don't know anything about drugs. I said, I'm just a rabbi type. I'm clueless. I found out that there's drug dealing in the community and among our children, and I feel a responsibility to learn about it. So that's, right. the drug, Rebbe, became the, the Instagram. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. Yeah, this has been great, Trevor Herta. I mean, I, we could go on, I think, the two of us schmoozing, but, you know, the time is late. And But if somebody wanted to contact you, what's the best way they can reach you? Why don't you tell us? The truth of the matter is I, I still haven't solved this problem in 25 years, 20, almost 30 years. I, I, I really, I, I just don't have the time to respond to people, to wonderful people. If people want to get in touch with me and they want to learn because they're having issues with their children, go to the parenting clubs. That's what I would tell you. Okay. That's the God's honest truth. That's the God's honest truth. I still haven't, I still have not figured that out in all the years. I, I am the, I'm honored that people trust me and, and, and value my opinion and want to get in touch with me. I, I, I it's, it's dishonest to give you my email address and say, I, I just... Right. No, I, 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 made, I appreciate I that. I made these clips specifically to say what I would tell parents about a wide variety of topics. We're actually bundling them. My assistant is bundling them now. So I'll have a link with all with specific topics. You okay. want to know what, if you want to get in touch with me, you're probably going to get frustrated and, and because they won't be able to get me on, mm. on the phone or in person. So... so I would say, look at what I'm prepared for you in terms of content. That's the okay. God's honest truth. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ever Horowitz, for coming on. Uh, this has been wonderful. And we're going to have to try this again, okay? Pleasure. Anytime. Uh Drink It In is sponsored by OKClarity.com. 
OK Clarity is the place for any Jew, no matter how from or religious you are, to find a top-notch therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And it's completely free. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted and have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. If you're in the market for a therapist, coach, nutritionist, psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you can complete a short form and they will personally match you. If you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and professionals receive referrals effortlessly. OK Clarity also has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 8,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post great humor. So you'll laugh too. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. That's 917-426-1495. And we'll put those links in their website in the notes. So smash those links. You won't regret it. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Drink It In, the podcast. You can find all my episodes and so much more at maverickpodcasting.com. Come connect and say hi with me on Instagram at drinkitin underscore Jordana. If you like the show, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.